As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Most people have turned on SBF and FTX and that whole operation in the coming in the in the previous two weeks, but there's still a mainstream narrative that it's somehow a result of incompetence. And more so the story should be if FTX lost 3.7 billion before 2022 even ar- ar- like arrived during the you know greatest up only everything speculative bull market in history never mind for crypto but just anything and everything where crypto had you know Solana go from $3 to 280 250 and all of these worthless scam tokens that they gave themselves inside allocations to serum maps oxy these Solana ecosystem coins that had fully diluted valuations of of tens of billions of dollars at the top, and they had all these inside allocations to them. If they lost 3.7 billion in that year, then they were fraudulently losing money, spending it on themselves, laundering it, however you want to think of this. It wasn't incompetence, and and it was actually extremely malicious, like early on. Jenya, what's up, man? This is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> what's up, Don? How are you? Dude, so did you just see the... So uh, FTX and Almeida lost... 3.7 billion and, yeah. uh, on that basis in 2021. I think people just, I mean, real, ultimately it was just the Ponzi ran out of fuel, right? But for yeah. them to lose, like, because everyone had this assumption that, like, you know, they were the smartest guys in the room, this quant trading firm, MIT whiz kids. The mainstream narrative is still, you know, hey, the JP Morgan guy, like, got unlucky. You know, he took a big bet, rolled the dice and missed. And I think it's more so needs to be looked at. It's like, this was a long con, not even long. Like, I mean, it, you know, started in 2018, right? 20, 2017, 2018. And, and yeah. now we're just seeing the details of it all just get unraveled. Yeah, listen, it, it's pretty wild. I mean, you know, the estimations of the amount of money lost, like, it's funny, everyone kind of has their own, you know, versions of this and their own kind of calculations, but you know, the quick back of the napkin math, if you just look at kind of bare bones is, you know, almost what is it, 2 billion in equity financing from venture was raised, then you have to factor in something in the order of 16 billion in customer deposits and actual crypto assets, then you have to factor in all of their PL from like 2018, right? So all of that was wiped out as well, plus the PL of Alameda. So, I mean, we're looking at like just those numbers alone, never mind anything else, is like north of 20, 25 billion dollars just evaporated, which is, you know, that's a, <laughs> that's a hell of a number. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty, not funny, maybe ironic, maybe sad that a lot of, you know, we had this this huge speculative excess crypto bull market in hindsight, right? And, and then Bitcoin also, let's like, let's not pretend that it doesn't also have, despite, I think, 
everyone, you know, many people listening being like, yeah, like this thing isn't going anywhere, despite no matter what the price action does, like Bitcoin is here to stay. Yeah. It also has like, like when I, like when I say like, you know, and I start harping on these cryptos, Bitcoin definitely also has its, its own kind of speculative, you know, premium at times to put it, to put it lightly. But in terms of like, you know, the L1 trade, DeFi summer 2.0, Soul summer, yeah. All of these narratives, these crypto hedge funds that were like brilliant, you know, quote unquote in 2021, right? You know, there's there's NFT startups like 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 all of these things and then to realize it was it was basically just like this circle jerk between like three or four counterparties recycling like maybe 5 5 to 10 billion dollars of real money. It's, you know, it's pretty wild to think about. And maybe that was an underestimation, but like that's in a simple, simple manner, like kind of what happened. Yeah. And, and it's funny too. I, if I recall correctly, there was, uh, there was this instance at the Bitcoin 2021, the conference in Miami you guys held where there was like a, this juxtaposition between Caitlin Long, who was talking about the, the perils of leverage. And then like shortly thereafter, Sam was like touting leverage as like the greatest thing ever. And, you know, just, it's just like a funny juxtaposition given, you know, kind of how things played out both funny and sad, but you know, it's 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 pretty remarkable to see how this unwinding of these you know intertwined relationships between lenders and exchanges and and market makers and and, and token projects, it's it's just turned into like the most insane catastrophe. And like I've been around the space since you know 2012, 2013, and have have had a front row seat to most of these collapses and and unwinds. And like my God, this is like the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> So, so Jenny, yeah, we, you know, we've been kind of talking back and forth on Twitter for, I don't even know, maybe nine months now or so. Coin Magazine and BitMEX had, had a, an official partnership that, you know, we kind of worked out. But I remember pretty distinctly, we were DMing in, geez, what was it, June or whatever, right after, directly after the, the UST unwind, the Luna unwind. And you, we, you called me on the phone. And I think I, I had just gotten back from, from Europe like a day before. And I was feeling pretty jet lagged. We hopped on the phone for like 30 minutes and you were yeah. like, man, it's, it's pretty much over. And I was like, what do you mean, dude? And like, and I've, I've done a bunch of like study and, and, you know, monetary history, financial history. Like I think a pretty good understanding of like the economic system, but I hadn't really thought of it in the way of like, oh my God, there's a massive amount of impairment until you sparked the idea in my head. And you're like, dude, there's a daisy. And this was before three AC, right? This was before yeah. all of that happened. And you were like, there are so many funds and so many desks yeah and and they're and they're all were dipping their their hand in the cookie jar of the UST anchor protocol ponzi yeah and 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 i remember just kind of like just being like oh my god it is and you know like i've i like I'll, i've been a pretty like pretty pretty much a doom poster since since all of that happened really you know make no mistake but you you were one of the i remember that phone call just very distinctly and damn man it's been you know it's been quite the daisy chain yeah it's you know what the i think the interesting thing is you know i mean look i i have a privileged kind of perspective on this and that like you know i i work at one of the largest exchanges and i've been around the block and you know have good relationships and kind of understand the general market structure of this so i you know it, it makes sense more to me than it does to people that are outsiders but you know you have to you have to understand it's like you have 
you have a very small subset of actors that can move size in this ecosystem, right? And when they're all moving size on the same bets in the same trades, you have to wonder, like, what can the collateral damage be if that trade reverses and goes in the opposite direction? And, you know, unfortunately, this entire, like, whatever, eight months, nine months has been a, a perfect textbook example of the, the type of unwinding, violent unwinding that can happen when you have just this interconnected web of people doing, you know, more or less the same thing, right? Most of these guys were punting long on, you know, both, you know, both on Bitcoin and then on like more, you know, wildly speculative trades like, you know, UST and, and farming the anchor protocol yields, which is absolutely insane. And, you know, and, and obviously all that, you know, kind of came crashing down. I, I think, you know, the more, obviously the more kind of, you know, dark piece of this whole puzzle is just seeing how how desperate some people get when, when things start to unwind and they're just trying to plug holes left, right and center, right? And, and I think FTX obviously was, you know, the on the receiving end of that. You know, it, the jury's still out whether or not, you know, this was a long con or, you know, or how long this has been going on for. But you have to imagine that like Alameda ate shit in May and probably they were punting along on, on, on what's it called, on Luna and probably a bunch of other things. It took huge losses. And, and one other thing you, have, you guys have to remember too is that because Alameda is you know one of the primary market makers for FTX, they are obligated to provide liquidity for trading on the exchange and whether or not you know things are going up or down. So they were probably eating shit on both sides, right? They were losing billions. And then they had to they had to you know backstop the liquidity, and they were probably losing even more you know in the process. And so you know my by my estimations, just looking at like the the rough timelines, it looks like you know they probably went bust you know in 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 May like or June at the latest, and then and then Sam probably you know attempted to fill in these holes that kept getting bigger since then. And I think obviously we've all kind of come to the same conclusion that you know for example the Voyager and BlockFi deals were, you know, were a desperate attempt to plug in those holes. And, you know, it, it's just, it's crazy. This whole thing is so nuts. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's certainly something and I, you know, despite how boring Bitcoin is at a protocol level, um, I mean, I really, the only reason I, I follow half of this nonsense and really only play altcoins on the short side Lee, is, is because the whole, this whole industry is cross collateralized, right? And so like, yeah, like FTT imploding because these guys literally like, you know, pointed out essentially implicitly that they were levered to the tits against it at a certain price level. That matters to the Bitcoin exchange rate, unfortunately enough, like UST imploding and Luna imploding. And I guess they directly sold like 80,000 Bitcoin or so. But like this whole garbage, illiquid, you know, levered beta industry, like these quote unquote assets, right, where like people believe the story in a reflexive bull market where there's no marginal sellers and you know, the, the, the money machine is, is printing and people are taking their crypto collateral to buy more crypto, like it works then. But when, you know, there's no structural buyers to any of this stuff, um, except really like there's, there's not really a passive in, in investment crowd for anything in crypto except Bitcoin, right? Like the hodlers of last resort and buyers of last resort, like the Bitcoin, you know, uh, site, like a cycle theory or not cycle theory, but like the Bitcoin era would be like, you know, if, if Bitcoin goes to 12K, and you showed it to them uh, after 2017, they'd be like, yeah, Bitcoin went down 85%. It literally does that every bear market. Like, there's no surprises here. And this time, you know, I think there was there was broad belief 
and even even personally in the moment right it was like oh my, maybe this time like is different right like corporate adoption all these things and ultimately like whether it was a fault of bitcoin native speculation or the macro i think it's all really tied and the crypto kind of collateral and all of the the stuff that we've been covering with with three arrows with alameda with FTX, with Luna kind of being like this last gasp that like a bull market, right? If you remember, Luna didn't top in November or September. Uh, UST and Luna, whatever, they topped in like April, right? So that was just like, there was like $50 billion of like net liquidity in, in the crypto ecosystem. That was just basically a financial perpetual motion machine. So like that imploded and it just started off this like, you know, this like, it's like the, the funny thing is this, this crypto people or just, you know, market participants in general that have said there's been four separate black swans in the last year. It's like, no, <laughs> black swans are like this unforeseen you know, thing that like no one could have possibly seen coming. And the reality is like these things were all, you know, predictable or, or more likely to happen after the first one. Also, I just want to, I, I see Matt is in the, in the speakers. How's it going, man? I'm, I know Jenny and I have been Oof. back and forth. How are you feeling? <laughs> just keep thinking back to lessons learned that I thought we learned in 2017 and 2018. Sadly, I guess, no, I guess we did not. You know, we had that old cliche of saying the capitulations are all the same and only the names change or, you know, uh, new liquidation. But anyway, I'm just saying that back in, back then, you know, when, when you had retail bidding every single silly ICO, I thought we all learned our lesson that these are worthless and we're not going to do that again. And then this time around, no, never mind. It's just the bigger players that are getting higher in their own supply and are looking at the market cap going up and equating that to some sort of success. And as Jenny had just pointed out, like, look, they're just they're just bidding on top of each other. But then at a certain point, when they all need to race for the exit door, only so many of them can fit through to catastrophic results, as we saw with Luna UST. And uh, I mean, I feel like I kind of owe 3AC an apology, a slight apology wherever they are in the world, because we all were making fun of like, wow, they believe their own super cycle hype. And, and I'm not giving them a pass on how much fraud and, and how much money they stole. But wow, they all believe their super cycle hype. It seems like everyone else did too. It seems like all these other smaller firms and funds were, were you know, repeating the same hopium mantra too i'm just so shocked i'm so surprised but i don't know here we are again learning the same lessons yeah, yeah so I, I, one one quick, uh one quick thing let me just jump re uh, real quick on this point about you know everyone always thinking that you know there, there's there, you know, there's always someone smarter in the room and you know alameda was always touted as like you know they're they're like top dogs and you know they're killing it and you know just one of the best liquidity providers or market makers in the world and you know what maybe that was the case you know for some time i remember getting introduced you know to the team and you know just their names coming across my desk in 2018 and 19 and you know what i'm sure there was probably some period of time where they they made a shitload of money and Maybe they actually did do the, you know, the the, the Japan ARB and, and the kimchi premium ARB, which, by the way, is, was very hard to do. But, you know, that's such a made up story. Which, yeah. And so, not to mention, it's it's three it's three years old. How, I mean, I'm sure they blew that that those small gains so long ago. Oh, 100 percent. So like that trade in order to in order to do the kimchi ARB trade, you would have had to do the, the trade on two legs, one leg in the U.S., one leg in Korea and in Korea to do that in order to have access to any fiat there, you have to have someone natively from there executing the trade, right? So that's, 
that was one that, that was one kind of sticking point. And then the Japan arm, you know, they're talking about moving, you know, tens of millions a week. Like, I, I'm not sure I know of any bank in Japan that would allow some foreigners just to come in and do that, <laughs> you know, at the drop of a hat. So, you know, there's definitely questions around how much they actually squeezed out of that arb. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that, like, you know, yes, they may have been good traders for some time. But for sure, the edge wore off as, you know, the bigger institutions came in and, and the high frequency trading shops, you know, many from Chicago and many from, you know, or, you know the other parts of the world came in and just blew their edge out of the water. And, and that's and that's why they probably started punting everything. Right. And, you know, it's it's just nuts. Like the, you know, reading reading through some of the recent documents about the disclosures on the advantages that they had, you know, essentially trading against customers like it's just like this is the sort of shit that would make your head spin. Like lines of credit, obviously directly from the exchanges, it's that's okay. Non-liquidation accounts, like totally egregious, right? Favorable access to APIs, you know, with higher calls and rate limits, absolutely insane. Like looking at the order book and just like in plain sight, front running orders, like this is like outright fraud, <laughs> right? So just just reading these things, just it makes your head spin. It's insane. It's like it's. Yeah, I, the the thing that I I wonder and when I hear you know the Japan Arb or the you know the Kimchi Premium, it's like okay, it's like oh SBF got a start, made his first billion doing this like you know Arb trade where like you said would need to be on two separate legs and to make you know that amount of size doing an Arb, you need massive size to begin with. Like you can't make a billion dollars trading a, a you know a spread in two separate you know two two separate like exchange rates with you know a million dollars of capital or something, right? Like, like you, it, the whole, the whole story was questionable. And then you throw in the fact, uh, Jenny, I forget if we uh, messaged about this over the summer, but I came across these, the Almeida docs from 2019. It was just screenshots. It wasn't that full documents of, of their promotion of their fund performance through the 2018 bear market. Like li- literally from like the start of, of, you know, the top 2017 December, whatever it was, all the way down to like maybe late 2018, early 2019. And, you know, a lot of volatility in that crypto bear market as, as Bitcoin and Ethereum, which were the, what they advertised their performance against went, you know, chopped all the way down 80%. Their performance was up only no drawdowns, 110% annualized. And I, and I saw these and I sent it to some people who, you know, I'd, I'd want to know about. It and I said, Hey, got you know, came across these, but they're spelling errors, and this is literally the, like the the biggest fraudulent Ponzi I've ever seen. There's no way this is real. Like, I think someone's just trying to like you know spread fake news or or something. But if it's true, they're running a, they're running a Ponzi. And you know, I was just hesitant to stake my like you know personal reputation on the line for like you know what was in you know in theory one of the only remaining like you know exchanges, firms, hedge funds in the space. It was like all right. Maybe I, I'm going to hesitate to stick my reputation on the line here, but like, you know, noted, this is potentially like, I mean, that's a Ponzi. Like, look at, go look up Bernie made off returns. And he had for 18 years, he made, you know, 10% on no volatility. This is what these guys were showing yeah. over 18 months in crypto markets that were, you know, 100%, you know, 100 vol, 150 vol assets. So that was like pretty glitch. I think I have the original FPT white paper somewhere. And, and, you know, after the fact, you look at all these things and it's like, oh yeah, they mint a bunch of tokens out of nothing. They use it as collateral. Like they were literally like hunting other people's liquidation prices in the DeFi summer with FTT collateral. 
like these guys were were just basically you know they they wanted to be sharks but they were pretty bad at it and it's more so just fraud and and worthless you know like monetary alchemy in a way in the crypto in the crypto sense the bitcoin magazine podcast is brought to you by crowd health with open enrollment upon us what if you didn't have to pay healthcare premiums anymore what if you can invest in bitcoin instead with crowd health you can choose your doctors put aside money for your health expenses in your own account and even hold a large part of it in bitcoin pay one low monthly total to fund an account that is yours if a large expense comes up, CrowdHealth will crowdfund the bill for you to pay quickly. Go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG and experience freedom from health insurance by utilizing Bitcoin. Right now, through the end of the year, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. Don't get stuck in a bad insurance plan again. Instead, go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG to sign up. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. Bitcoin is for everyone. Lefties, righties, and rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin Magazine print edition is called The Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naya Bukele, Jeff Deist, Beauty On, Natalie Smolensky, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy at your local Barnes & Noble's bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at store.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Yeah, one other thing I'll I'll bring up, which I think is a salient point and like somewhat relevant to this is, you know, I I remember back in the day, one of the one of the kind of value propositions that people from that team were were touting was, oh, you know, look at Alameda. They're on the they're on the BitMEX leaderboard. Right. And back then, you know, we had like some obscene amount of market share, like 60 plus, 70 plus percent. And so, yeah, the leaderboard obviously mattered. And they had like two accounts or something on there, which is, you know, by all accounts, that's that, that that's relevant and, and it makes sense. However, you know, one of the, like someone pointed this out to me recently, where it's like, okay, so you're you're on the leaderboard on one exchange, right? Which is fine, the dominant exchange at the time, and so you, you're you're directionally correct on most of your bets on one exchange, but you could also just be hedging that out somewhere else, and you could actually be completely neutral on on the trade, right? And so the leaderboard, the leaderboard kind of sticking point may not have actually been as valid as most people thought right because you don't you don't know the other side of what someone else is trading right they could just they could be going long in one place and they could just be hedging it out in another place and they're they're actually not making any money or they're making very little money however the leaderboard shows that you're kind of in a top position and so you know a lot of this was uh, you know back in the day was kind of it was touted as one of the big value props, like look at us, we're doing X, Y, and Z, and you know we're we're top, uh, you know we're we're top dogs in the top market, 
And, and, you know, you, you start to wonder, like, how much of that was actually true? Like, you have to, you have to call everything into question at this point, right? If everything was a lie, <laughs> or, or a lot of things in the recent past were a lie, it could be, you know, it could also be true that everything else was a lie, or most other things were a lie, right? So, you know, it's just, you, you have to start to question, you know, kind of the, all the historical data around the stuff. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just wild to, you know, <laughs> to start digging into that. Okay, so let's pivot a, a little bit, but it's still kind of on the same point. It's you know everyone. I've gotten a bunch of people ask me like I, like I, like like I somehow have a good answer. Like, what's the next domino to fall? Uh, and the reality is, I mean, we're not really sure. There's been plenty of dominoes so far, and you know, logically, many people, and I think it'd be personally reasonable. Like, if this was it, that was the last of it. Although I will say, I'm extremely skeptical. We have the DCG stuff, right? Rumors flying around, radio silence from Barry. I don't think I think the Bitcoin is there. I don't think it's it's questionable. The Friday tweets were questionable. I will say it was just weird language. You know, hey, guys, like we have the power to like, it's, I mean, it's for anyone that's not aware. It's extremely trivial to just and I, I guess if you, you know, for privacy reasons, wouldn't want to do it. But it's trivial to just sign a message across an address or multiple addresses. I could do it in five seconds on my on my full node, you know, in Bitcoin core, like this is the most simple thing ever. And actually a competing trust, which is very small, Osprey Bitcoin trust, who is coin, Coinbase custodian, published their address today, right? So it's not a Coinbase thing and they probably could do it in 30 seconds, which is, is a little weird, but I think Grayscale is fine. The real concern here is for, for, you know, next dominoes, Genesis is a really big player or at least was a big player. They've halted their loan book and they've halted withdrawals. Gemini, but also the real question for me is, does DCG and Genesis, and they said, you know, Genesis Global does not have a liability or any relation with DCG, but I mean, take a look at the Alameda corporate entity chart, right? And you understand how easy it is to make a statement like that. That's technically true. And there's some form of like, you know, loan or credit line or, you know, note between the two firms under another entity or somehow connected, right? And I think obviously it's in their interest to be, you know, kind of quell that fear. But is there, is that, is this a domino we should even be talking about? Is it all useless FUD? Like what, are, what is your thoughts here? Cause I'm trying to actively, you know, work my thoughts yeah. around it. Yeah, so so look, I, I think I'll preface this by saying that, you know, because we've gone through these, you know, consecutive, you know, black swan events and unwindings, everyone is a little bit more hyper vigilant about, you know, what's the next thing and, you know, should we keep our eyes open, uh, you know, for, for, you know, the next disaster and this sort of thing. I get it. People are, you know, very sensitive to this sort of thing now. And, and as we should always be, not just in times of crisis, but here's what I'll say on this. DCG is one of the oldest organizations in the entire ecosystem they've survived like three or four market cycles you know they've grown in size across every you know possible vertical you know genesis trading does spot and derivatives their lending business which you mentioned which is in a crunch now you know they were they were one of the largest lenders they were basically kind of the lender of last resort for the whole ecosystem for the last like four years and you know it's kind of like a dirty secret and you know they have other things like foundry which does mining they own luno which is an exchange like they're they own coindesk they own a bunch of shit right so they're they're extremely embedded everywhere all over the place and they also do a ton of venture so you know dcg as a whole definitely not worried also barry silbert is an og operator and you know say what you will and you know we'll always crack 
you know, jokes about Barry, you know, on Twitter about it being a big week and, you know, it's all fun and games. But, you know, if anyone's going to figure out a solution to this, it's going to be Barry Salford, straight up. This guy's been around the block. He knows literally everybody from every part of the ecosystem. He's trusted. He's legit. He is the man. However, you know, this isn't to excuse, you know, the hole in Genesis, which, you know, from the sounds of it is quite big and at least a billion dollars. You know, it's a big deal, right? Like there's, that's not an insignificant amount of, you know, I think the grayscale stuff is a bit of a red herring. You know, Coinbase Custody put out that notice today, you know, verifying that they're, that they're actually, you know, in control of the assets, which is great. I'm sure that kind of takes the edge off for some people. But, you know, look, here's the thing. I, I think if, if from, from the sounds of it, if you believe the rumors on Twitter, you know, there was this, you know, supposed fundraiser over the weekend for Genesis, and it didn't go so well for, you know, whatever unknown reasons. And and so they're kind of in a crunch right now. You know, if if Barry Silver cannot raise money, you know, from the obvious kind of players that you would typically go to for this sort of thing, I suspect, you know, there there will be a, you know, a, a funder of last resort. It could be CZ, could be another big player. You know, Barry can, can figure this out, and, and I think this will be sorted uh, in the next little while. So I'm not necessarily worried about it. I mean, it, it's it's definitely a little bit of cause for concern, but I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't lose sleep over this. Yeah, I'd be really shocked if, you know, I I think there's a non-zero probability for everything. Yeah, that's the market, this, you know, crypto market and, and the history of legacy markets should tell us that. But chances of, of DCG and Barry, you know, having this like, you know, large scale SBF style fraud, in my opinion, is zero or close to, as close to zero as, you'd like it's just a matter of the dcg genesis ba- balance sheets and that, and i don't think anybody knows that and the silence has been kind of weird i think to you know to counter your point or to maybe play you know devil's advocate in terms of like how bad it could get right like i mean i i think gbtc is fine and the worst case scenario is that unless you know that like that's you know non-zero chance like very very you know small small chance that there's like Something real wrong under the hood. I do not think this whatsoever, but it's non-zero. GBTC is, you know, in a bad spot. Otherwise, even if Grayscale or DCG or these other firms, and I'm no law expert, but I think that the the trust would just get bought by another participant, probably maybe even a TradFi. So I think that's fine. But I when I when I look at like, and I posted it today, Coinbase is like, you know, the in terms of crypto companies and public markets, it's like the most. It's you know, it's it's a sterling example. And maybe it's it's not sterling, but it was, you know, like the, the IPO, all of this stuff and it IPO'd at the top. But like Coinbase is a poster child. And when they're when their seven year, I guess now like six year, five year secured debt is trading yeah, fifty cents in the dollar, right? Three point three seven five percent coupon is trading with a seventeen handle. Right. So like this is Coinbase. And if Coinbase like that that is that to me tells me it's it's less about Coinbase. Like it's not and I'm not trying to FUD Coinbase or anything like some people in my replies think. It's more so just the reality that like if you were a crypto firm or an exchange or a mining company or whatever, the crypto native risk premia, or maybe it's just a liquidity crunch, right? Because all these lending desks are screwed. Genesis is screwed. BlockFi is screwed. Like all of them, right? If you need to finance or, or roll or refinance anything in the crypto ecosystem, like a lot of people are very familiar with like, you know, the, the theory of like credit impulse in, in the macroeconomic cycle, right? Like banks are lending, uh, asset values are, incre- are increasing, collateral values increasing, and it's a feedback loop. And like, these are kind of why we have short-term economic debt cycles. But right now, like if you think about the crypto native sense where there's no lender of last resort, 
like this is the reality guys there's no lender of last resort so any so any kind of impairment or you know they'll, they'll call it a liquidity issue but if a, if a you know a loan book can't can't fire sell its assets and cover its liabilities it's smart to market insolvent like there's no way around it right because there's no lender of last resort so in that in that case when all these lend like literally every lending desk in the space just took out behind the shed and shot and coinbase if it needs to refi its debt and maybe it wouldn't be a seven year term and maybe the terms could be you know senior secured or like like it would be somewhat different rather than the current structure but they're trading at 17% and that's like mega ultra trash junk level rating so i think people should just understand like from this ecosystem perspective you can either you know, fire sale your equity at bottom barrel valuations. I don't care if your firm's private and last raised in 2021 and you're like, yeah, we're $5 billion company. You're not, right? Like it's, it's, it's 80, 90% down across the board. Bitcoin 75% down, right? So, so they, they, like, I just, I asked myself, how does this get resolved? Wow, right? The VIX is at 22, 22, equity is only 20% from their highs, right? Like, this can get materially worse. And I'm not trying to be a doomer, but I'm just saying you have, you have Jeff Bezos come out and be like, Hey guys, save your money. Like don't, don't buy black Friday stuff, save your money. Don't buy the spare TV or fridge. And people are like, yeah, like maybe the bottom's in and maybe it is again, but all of these things are pointing to like more pain and, you know, not the like, you know, buy the dip up only that some people still seem to be kind of conditioned towards. And I think it like, I'm going to quote my friend Pete Rizzo here. I've said this a few times on Spaces. It's just, it's just a hilarious analogy. He's like saying, you know, right now you're, you're getting the, the shit kicked out of you in, an alley, in a dark alleyway by, by, you know, a few guys. So you got jumped. But what you don't realize is after they, you know, beat the hell out of you, you have five or six hours where you're alone in the dark, beat up, and you realize that no one's coming to get you. You got to pick yourself up and get out of the alleyway. And it's like, maybe this is the worst of it, right? But even then, we got we, we have some time of just, you know, basically building and, and you know, it's, it's just like, it's going to be a grind for a while is what I'm trying to say. I, I think I've just, it's, it's important to manage expectations about this. And, you know, if it takes, if it takes a while, then it does. And that's fine. Yeah, totally. I, I, I think like totally spot on. I think it's going to be an absolute grind. We're, we're basically going to be in Goblin Town for a long while, <laughs> right? And, and, and like realistically, I don't think we know, you know, how many more bodies are going to wash yeah, up. Yeah, to your point, Dylan, I think, you know, you could be looking at Coinbase, you could be talking about Genesis, you could be talking about any of these, these public and private companies. To me, it's the market saying we aren't sure you'll even survive the next six months, let alone a year to see our money back. And so we want, they're just, they're happy to sit on their hands and they want to see like, prove it, prove it. You're going to survive. Like prove you're going to be able to cut costs enough, sadly lay off enough employees, you know, cash, at least somehow conjure up cash flow positive. Most of these aren't profitable, but yeah, why everyone wants to know why should we, possibly throw good money after bad when probably part of our own book is is melting somewhere and we've got to protect our own so yeah it, it could be coinbase it could be any of these dozen plus mining stocks it could you know you name it and to me now we're all just talking about 
the rumor mill on Genesis and their and their trading firm. But to me, this this is this is what should have happened with Alameda. This is what they should have just let it try to get their own loan, get their own bailout, and if it can't get its billion dollar bailout, then it has then it dies. Like that's that's where FTX went wrong. That's where Sam, Sam one of Sam's many failures. But as soon as he's like, well, you know what? I'll I'll just dip into the customer funds and the customer cash flow, and we'll give you a sweetheart behind the scenes three billion dollar deal bailout. Like that's not happening for Genesis. DCG isn't going to do that for for Genesis. It'll be a big black eye. It'll be really embarrassing for Barry. It'll you know everyone will everyone will you know get to tap dance and I told you so's. But it's also necessary, and that's how it's supposed to happen. If they're if they're lending, if their trading desk, if their lending firm, and their venture desk go under, then it should go under, and the contagion stops right there. Great points, Matt. I, I was wondering if Matt, it, can you hear Jenny when he was he was speaking? We kind of started talking oh, at the same oh, time as him. My bad. No, 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 it's all good. I just did. All good. I, I just didn't know if it was it was like a. a uh, Twitter Spaces thing, but it's Spaces. Um, I see. Yeah, I can't hear him. I'll I'll leave and come back. Yeah, just just sh- toss me an invite, Jenna. Do you want to continue your point? I f- I forget what you were riffing on. Yeah, exactly, but... I'll. I was talking about Goblin Town and how we're going to be all going to be residents there for the next. <laughs> oh month. yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so look, I think there's a few more things that are worth considering. So number one, you know, obviously everyone's focus this week is on, you know, Genesis and DCG, which is, you know, the correct thing to be focusing on. However, you know, just from the conversations I've had, you know, internally and, and you know, with some of our you know clients and partners and whatever, it, yeah, look, everyone's been hit by this really bad. And if you want to understand who might be next or, you know, who's taking a lot of damage, you need to understand you know, what the market microstructure of exchanges is, right? And so it, it's pretty simple. You have, you know, you, you have really two broad categories. You have retail traders and institutional traders. And on the institutional side, a lot of the lifeblood of exchanges is market makers. And, you know, if you look at the size of F, the FTX operation, both on the offshore exchange and on the U.S. entity, <laughs> you'll, you'll start to realize that there was a lot of liquidity providers there. Uh, and not all of them, very few of them got their money off in time. And, you know, I know of folks with, you know, seven, eight, nine figures stuck there that they're never going to see again, or they'll see 20 cents on the dollar in five or 10 years once the bankruptcy proceedings are, you know, completed. So, you know, it, it's, it's really bad, right? And, and people need to start thinking about how is this going to you know, impact overall liquidity? Because, you know, <laughs> just taking a taking a few steps back, you'll, you'll quickly start to realize there's going to be a very negative impact and, and, and there's going to be, you know, a lot of liquidity drying up in certain places, you know, certainly for, especially for some of these, you know, illiquid shit coins where Alameda was either the primary market maker or one of very few, right. A lot of these projects, you know, that took money from Alameda were tied up in these long-term deals where, yeah, uh, you know they would keep the, the the funds on on FTX and Alameda would market make, so they got fucked in two ways. And it's just you know it's gonna be it's gonna be really bad. You know there's gonna be I, I suspect before the end of the year there's gonna be way more bodies washing up. And I think some people are not being honest about their exposure right now, but time reveals all. And you know I think I think it'll be pretty clear before the end of the year, you know, most of the bodies that, that got affected by this. So, 
you know, it's just it's kind of a waiting game right now. Here's a here's a catalyst or a, you know another body that, that no one's really talking about it. And I I know I kind of say say this and post this kind of stuff from time to time as a joke, being satire. Like, hey, like you know what's what's the use case of of NFTs and, and DeFi uh, that offer two uh, percent yields on stable coins that again may or may not like. Do I am I a tether truther? No, I'm not. And I, I you know believe long before the the peg breaks, you'll see a run on on a circulating supply and we're not really seeing that at any worrisome level regardless of all that like DeFi yields yield farming all this stuff that like supposed innovation you know kind of just slap slap tradfi into like a wildcat banking era into a protocol and you know that's all gone right like like the DeFi DeFi summer DeFi yields all this stuff why would i do that when i can go buy four percent you know, I'll get 4.7% on short-term T-bills, right? I'll buy, you know, short-term treasury bill ETF or I'll, you know, you know, stick it in a, 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 a savings account and get 3%, right? Like this is the reality. And so DeFi, NFTs, all this stuff, like Ethereum is, is still 1100 bucks. Like what's, what's that, uh, you know, $150 billion market cap or something? Like in terms of the liquidity, right? Now you're seeing the FTX hacker just, just market dump Ethereum for, for for Bitcoin and doing all this weird other stuff, I think that you know, ETH BTC. If we're you know if we're in this, maybe it's this new paradigm, right? Like ETH is deflationary ultrasound money, like like some of the proponents say. But I'm not confident in that thing, and and really, it's it's a lasting support during a potentially pretty bad like global economic recession slash depression, right? All of these leading indicators in the traditional economy are saying okay. Like the housing just starting to turn, employment is just starting to turn. Maybe there's a soft landing, right? But if there's not, and we're just kind of entering the the apathy phase, or we haven't even reached the apathy phase for these, you know, speculative crypto coins, I'm actually a lot more confident in the buyers and hodlers of last resort for Bitcoin, just based on the t- you know the test of time and you know how these liquidity games are played. It seems like you know any uh, there's still probably more. And even just from like a psychological perspective, right? Like $1,000 ETH versus what? Like $14,000 Bitcoin, right? Like, you know, there's not like a, there's a pretty big psychological effect there too. So I'm just in terms of like, you know, catalyst for another leg lower. It's like, we've already seen really everything else in the crypto ecosystem deflate pretty hard, except, you know, actually ETH, which is notoriously like historically beta, right? And it's, and it's really nothing more than beta oftentimes. And people just kind of believe the story because of, the liquidity cycle, you know, it seems a little like ETH BTC at 0.07. I'm not even trading, like trading it at this point. I'm just kind of watching, watching it all fall, <laughs> fall down. But I think that's probably maybe one of the things to go is, is the ETH BTC ratio. And also just Ethereum in general, I don't think it's going to die. I just think like, you know, the hype cycle, right. Of, of what, what drove ETH in the last bull market is like ICOs, dApps, right. Like all the, the world computer was like an actual sales pitch, right? And then this cycle is like ultrasound money and, you know, NFTs and like, and, and 2020, 2021 was DeFi summer, right? So what's, what, where's all that now, right? And I, I, I just think that it's, it's, it's going the other way and it's kind of just hanging like wily Coyote suspended in the air as people realize that like no one wants to hold the bag. 
Yeah, look, I, I, I think I think the NFT stuff is, you know, it, it, it's already kind of proven to <laughs> to dry up pretty badly. You know, you look at you look at some of the volumes on, both on ETH and Solana, and uh, you know, compare it to you know, six months ago, twelve months ago. It's you know, it, it's pretty clear where the trend is going. You know, the other thing too is you have to keep in mind like some of these you know more more fringe things like nfts and you know and yield farming those are mostly interesting to people in you know in in the good times right and when you know when we have all all time highs when everyone's making money and you know everyone just throws caution to the wind that's the most interesting period uh for some of these assets to flourish and you know that's the, the likeliest time for people to experiment with it. Yeah, we've never really had kind of a, a what's it called, a full market cycle with NFTs and DeFi. So I think we're we're gonna like this will be the testing ground for that, right? If it if it if it makes it out on the other side of this cycle, then you know who knows? Maybe there's <laughs> there's something to it, and yeah, maybe we're all wrong. But if it doesn't, then yeah, the the, the case will be made for it. But, but yeah, I mean, like, listen. Also, you have to think about like who are, who are the market participants in you know in some of these products, and particularly on the NFT side. Like, look, it's a very it was it was there, there's only two major categories. It's either crypto whales that were just you know rotating in and out of certain collections and, and you know just trying to <laughs> trying to just climb their way up, or it was just retail hoping to you know strike it big with. You know, with some you know some rare NFT and, and be able to you know to to cycle their way through that. But you know, right now everyone's poor and liquidated and and you know and struggling. <laughs> some people you know have already rushed for the exits. You know, others yeah others are just you know you know holding your life right now trying to figure out what to do. So I, I don't really think that either of those you know kind of asset classes are gonna. Yeah, um, they're not going to be interesting for for a long time if they if they do survive on the other side of this. My my guess is, you know, just given the amount of market participants in both of those, some version of it will probably climb out the other side of this. But you know, I, I think for now, the obviously the safe haven, you know, for you know for 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 our ecosystem is is mostly Bitcoin, and you know, it's it'll play out over the next few months. So, so Danny, the the lows are being run, and we're at fifteen. We're at fifteen five at the moment. So, is the bottom in? Jeez, what a what a ugly market. Yeah, we got we got some chop, man. That's for sure. I I think Bitcoin bottoms before the the Fed money printer go bird. Like like I maybe that like you know the start of a new bull market per se. And I kind of you know I, it really is a is a shame that not a shame, but I think it's just the reality that yeah, this decentralized monetary asset is. You know the exchange rate is at the whims of of you know whatever they're doing with the monetary policy because it's a check on the whole game, right? Like like the Fed the Fed can't raise and tighten forever, and they're going to break something. But we have this thing that's supposedly independent, and it is independent. Its monetary policy is, but its exchange rate is not because one half of the equation is BTC USD. So, but I, I do think in terms of like the bottom, and you know I, I've somewhat said. And I don't. I, I really don't care if I miss it or or you know kick it to perfection, which I won't. But I've jokingly said like, yeah, I'll put laser eyes when I think it's the bottom. Like I, I think Bitcoin can bottom, and I'll you know I'll, I'll give my best stab at it. Like I'm not I'm no oracle. I'm just guessing like everybody else. But I really believe that Bitcoin can bottom. Like you know put put it in its low before the Fed, you know says like okay guys let's you know we're going to turn back to music. We're turning it back on. But in terms of like you know when's the next secular uptrend? I think it's it's really like what you see with 
the broader economy and the next, you know, Lynn, Lynn Alden likes to say the PMI cycle, which I think is a really interesting way to think about it is like overlay the Bitcoin cycles with the overlay that with like the growth cycle. And so, yeah, we got some, we got some wood to chop for a while. And I, I think as long as you're, you know, not a, a boomer or someone that's not, you know, not to hate on the boomers, but someone that has a portfolio, they need to liquidate in five years and you should be managing your position size there. Like this is nothing but a thing. And is that, and it's honestly like, if you're here listening to space right now, I assume you you've, done some thinking about Bitcoin previously, like this is actually the best thing that could have could have could could happen to you because this thing's not going away. And if you if you believe it is and you believe the game's done forever, then great, you know, Godspeed. I disagree with you. So so like if the market like if it goes to 10K, it's over. No, it's not over. Nothing's changed. Like the, the entire thesis, nothing has fundamentally changed whatsoever. We just get to wipe out all of this the, the layers of fraud, the layers of lies. The liquid stupid shit coins, the Ponzi's, and the, and the Ponzi's were spectacular this cycle. They were, you know, god tier Ponzi's, GG's guys. But the game's over. Pack it up. You know, your your bucket shop is going to collapse, and the builders, the the actual meaningful innovation, and and, pro, and like productive things being built on top of a neutral apolitical monetary settlement layer will remain. And it's kind of funny to see, you know despite how locally bearish I've, I've been in, in, you know, for much of 2022, it's funny to see all the TradFi guys that, that you know, proclaimed victory at 3K in 2019 cheering here. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, the stackers and hodlers of last resort will prevail eventually. And in the meantime, you expect to get your, your teeth kicked in. And that's, and that's the fun part is because, you know, Bitcoin is going anywhere. Yeah, totally. I, I think, you know, I think one of the things that people need to always keep in mind when we're talking about market cycles is, you know, who are going to be these new participants and, 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 and what is going to catalyze them, you know, to, to buy back in, right? Or to buy in for the first time, right? Like there's there right now on the horizon, like, I'll just be straight up, I see nothing, right? <laughs> it looks bad. Global macro is sketchy. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of headwinds. Things are very uncertain, right? We're we're still fighting inflation. Like there's wars going on. Things are terrible, and so I, I just don't see any light at the end of the tunnel right now. Obviously, you know that that will change at some point. But you know, just like compared to compared to last cycle, like what what drove this really, right? You had you know you had. Uh, you had a shitload of money printing. You had stimulus checks. You had, you know, the the Bitcoin on uh, on balance sheets narrative. You had Sailor and you had Elon pumping this, right? And then eventually it all kind of hit escape velocity, and you know we were off to the races. But like I, I look around now, and I just I, I don't see what the next thing is, right? And and a lot of people were burned. A lot of people were absolutely decimated by this, right? You know, some people, some people miss Luna. They got hit by Voyager. Then they got hit by Celsius. Now they got fucked on FTX, and now they're completely out of the game, right? You, you have a lot of these people, right? And 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 it's not just retail. It's institutional guys. It's market makers and, and and everyone in between. So you know, not not to be all you know, kind of doom and gloom. That's that's not. That's not what I'm trying to say here. I'm just I'm just trying to be, you know, practical about you know managing expectations around narratives and and right now I just you know quite frankly I I don't see where we turn this around. Obviously, any of this can you know can change at a drop of a hat and you know some some wonderful new catalyst can enter into the picture. But you know at the moment it it doesn't look bleak and you know I hope the real builders are out there building stuff to you know to really push this forward when when the time comes.
I think we're, we might be overthinking it. We know there's a there's millions and millions of Bitcoiners all around the world, and they allocate to Bitcoin when they're making money. So you know, long story short, when the when your economies of your various countries and regions improve, then the people will have more money to save, and then you can put more of it into Bitcoin or your preferred asset. It's really as simple as that. And as long as adoption rate over time for Bitcoin is going up, then price gradually over time will go up. But uh, you're right. As as for now, I mean, oh, I think we just hit it. Did we just officially crack the the previous month low? Looks like we did, Dylan. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's it's obvious. Like, I guess Genesis just announced that there's a basically in talks of bankruptcy if because because no one no one could give them money over the weekend which makes sense guys because no one has any more money it's you know it's, it's <laughs> like there's just no no one wants to plug a a billion dollar hole in a in a loan book i don't really like it was obviously yeah. the ftx thing too like the market you know kind of like a pump faked higher when binance you know supposedly bailed out ftx and there was the headlines of which i uh, of which i shared when when it first was announced and then 10 minutes after just with some logical thinking and like, I was like, I don't want to be like a doom, a doomer here, but like anybody that's like celebrating cause they have funds on FTX and Binance is coming to bail you out. Do you really think CZ likes to donate money for no reason? Is, is CZ also an effective altruist? <laughs> like, you know, there's kind of a joke there, but no, no one has any interest in buying up impaired assets, right? All that, all that your liquidity problem quote unquote means is that, you're at, there's an asset liability mismatch, which means you need to liquidate your assets, which means selling. So like, you know, Genesis is, is has a you know, billion dollar impairment and who knows what DCG has. And they talked with Binance over the weekend. CZ probably did the same thing. Said, all right, cool. Let me see your book. Showed him his book. And then he goes, no, I don't, I don't want to buy that for any, for, for even $0. I have no interest. And so like, yeah, what's, what's, in a, in a market without a lender of last resort, this is like, I'm just trying to stress this. In a market without a lender of last resort, with all these lending and credit desks and leverage and what you can't, and what you can see, and which originally, like, I think I, I leaned on a little bit too heavy in my analysis. What you can see is, is there actually is a good amount of transparent data in terms of leverage on the derivative exchanges that you can see in real time. And, and some people will say, okay, yeah, it's bad data or whatnot. Maybe, it maybe is. But I think in terms of the amount of transparent leverage you can see, you can see, you know, futures open interest, CME open interest. You can see the funding rates for, for these quarterly or monthly futures. You can see where they're trading to relative to the spot market rate. And you can kind of, you know, give get a pretty good estimation or approximation of like the, the you know, the net leverage in a system, what the collateral value is of that. But what's not, what was, what was much more opaque and prevalent than I originally thought was the amount of kind of like off balance sheet leverage or, or private leverage rather. And so when Genesis, which, you know, is making tens of billions of dollars of loans and doing a bunch of derivative volume and all this other stuff says, yeah, we're bankrupt or, you know, we're not bankrupt. We have liquidity issues because we had, you know, a billion dollars in the UST Ponzi and a billion dollars of exposure with GBTC, GBTC collateral with three arrows. And then, you know, what was well, just a lot of that, collateralized loans to Bitcoin miners, but like, why would you collect? Why would you give them money for their machines when they're correlated assets? Yeah, it's, it's madness. And they also had two hundred million on FTX, and for a window, like I talked to people with with a lot of funds on Genesis, and I was like, "What are your thoughts?" And 
and they relate to me. They were talking like privately and they're like, well, yeah, they say they're fine. And I was like, well, yeah, they'll, they'll always say they're fine. And they got their assets off. Yeah, and they say they're fine till 24 hours. Yeah, they, and then it's yeah. like Genesis is like, oh, yeah, we're making an announcement tomorrow morning. And it's like, they're not going to make an announcement if things are good, guys. So it's, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what happens with their loan book. I don't know their exposure. Like most of the stuff, I, I, I almost honestly use Twitter as sort of like a public journal of my <laughs> of my thoughts for things at the time. And, and really, like I, I don't have, aside from Jenny, I'm just dishing out some occasional alpha uh, at the start of this whole thing don't really have like any inside connections here it's more so just like okay well, here's a here's the things we can piece together publicly you know they they publicly announce a relationship with three arrows or or you know we, or we know that three arrows is going to genesis for for you know this gbtc arb trade and, and buying and taking their bitcoin and getting bitcoin collateral or you know pledging that getting the gbtc shares pledging that as collateral to get more bitcoin to pummel into the same trade and like all those things on well, the so, original the original sin how what what was it uh, 1.3 1.5 billion in bitcoin traded for the equivalent in us ust stable the uh, terra luna stablecoin there's it's totally, no way they got out of that you know unscathed that that was no. probably a huge 100% l and so yeah it's like and and you know we find out that three arrows pledged AVAX and, and, you know, whatever hell other altcoins as collateral. It's like, you know, I, Bit, I honestly think Bitcoin collateralized loans at a very, very responsible LTV with, you know, margin requirements is something that is honestly not bad and is, and is good. Like that, like that financialization for an asset that trades 24, seven, 365 is broadly a good thing. And I think that in the future that those sort of loans over collateralized in nature, especially as Bitcoin becomes less volatile, Will will you know be very entrenched in in the global economy? I mean, Bitcoin is objectively, if it's over collateralized, much better in collateral than a, a house, right? Like it just, but it's just still very mature. It's still very liquid. But you know, theoretically, twenty four seven, three sixty five, it's all fungible. Like this can work. But the amount of shitcoin yeah. leverage and like GPTC leverage and unsecured leverage, right? Like three arrows borrowing from Voyager, being like wink, wink, guys, like six hundred million. Like all of that just needs to get wiped. And it's, I mean, it's in the process of getting wiped, right? Like, no, we are we're well in that process, but we're not going to bottom until any of that mark to market, you know, garbage essentially is just, is just utterly wiped. And, you know, there's a clearing rate and we're going to, whatever that clearing rate is, we're, we're going to find it. And, and so, you know, buckle up because it's going to be, it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, if I had to guess, I'd say post New Year's, not before New Year's. For a little context, remember... Everyone remembers in early May when Terra Luna UST absolutely collapsed. It took a good four, what, four weeks, over 40 days for Bitcoin to find its new bottom. Gotta figure it's going to take at least that kind of consolidation for our new bottom. Agreed. D++, I, I see you on the stage. We are, I think the plan was to stop at five. I'm down to go a little bit longer, Chris. I don't know if you have time crunch. Um, no, I'm good. I like what we're doing. We can keep running it. Cool. Let's let's run this for another 15 or 20 minutes. I'm kind of multitasking at the moment, but 
we want to get any other people up here, I mean, Deep West Plus, what are your thoughts on, on everything? I, I imagine you're just humbly stacking and chilling. <laughs> no, I just wanted to join the conversation. And the truth of the matter is I just woke up from a nap and I'm kind of like, what year is it? What price is Bitcoin at? Why, you know, I don't normally look to the news. I don't normally track the price, but I do see that Bitcoin has dipped another 5% today. So I'm assuming it's based on this news that, I guess, Alameda already had losses of several billion even before this year. Is that correct? I, like I said, I just woke up from like a coma. <laughs> I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I think the market's dumping because, I mean, because of many things. And it could just be not even related to news flow, just more sellers than buyers. But uh, yeah, Genesis apparently is, they requested a billion by Monday, as in today. They talked to Binance over the weekend. And there was no interest. So, you know, whatever that loan book is, uh, I don't, I don't know. But I think the the worry is, you know, just the the kind of the the daisy chain of no one, no one willing to really burn money to kind of plug this lending desk, this loan book that's you know, toxic waste. And so, you know, what are the implications there? And maybe it's them selling. Maybe it's people front running. Maybe it's, you know. Like I, I saw Alex Leishman, this is so anecdotal, but the CEO of River, he always likes to post, you know, the buy sell orders and River is a Bitcoin only exchange. And, you know, I think there's a high conviction there, you know, signal to noise on a Bitcoin only exchange like River versus, you know, some of these other casinos and they were at a 33% buy rate, right? So like there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of fear out there and then people are just, you know, just, just dumping. Yeah, and I liked what you said about sort of like what does a sane loan look like in a Bitcoin world, like, you know, a high loan to value ratio over collateralized, a high interest rate. And that's like what they're doing over at Unchained Capital. And I think like that's kind of the only sane version of lending that I can see. And But people didn't want to use those products because the interest rate, of course, is much higher, like 11%. But at the same time, it's like, would you rather pay 11%? Or would you rather like lose your loan? And so far, they've never lost. They've never had it. They've never experienced a single loss of a loan product for any person in their history of their operation. So, you know, I, I, I know there's always risk involved with that kind of thing, but I really have to give it to like the good actors in the space. Yeah, hundred percent. I think like, you know, kind of, you know, extrapolating this out in the, you know, whether a couple of years from now or when, you know, there's more adoption from say the TradFi system, I imagine Bitcoin is collateralized just similar to like, say, you know, if you're a private client at Goldman Sachs, you can borrow against your, your Apple stock at like Fed funds plus 50 basis points or something, or like, you know, like you could basically throughout 2020 and 2021, you know, just borrow at zero or like zero, you know, 50 basis points against your, against your brokerage account. Right. So like, the fact that Bitcoin trades 24-7, 365, and isn't as, when I say like is more liquid, I don't mean in absolute dollar terms. It's it's far less liquid than global, you know, even some single name global equities at the moment, but never mind foreign exchange markets or, or you know, these other, these other debt markets. But when you think of like, you know, what could a world where Bitcoin's a $10 trillion market cap, you know, how does that like collateralized debt look like in that scenario? I think it looks a lot like the unchained capital model where it's over collateralized, you know, potentially it's in a transparent multi-sig where they give you a key just so you feel better, um, but they're not rehypothecating it. It's staying in that address. You can see it. And then, you know, at, at some level where it's in theory, this is a no loss business, right? Over collateralized Bitcoin lending. If you're not going and and punting in DeFi protocols and UST or engaging in, in you know, uh, directional GBTC arbitrage, 
that blows up if, if grayscale goes from a premium to a discount for the first time ever. Like if you're not doing these things and you're just, and I think part of the reason is D plus on, on Unchained charging 9% is like Unchained could, could charge Fed funds plus 20, you know, 200 basis points like a traditional bank, but they are a Bitcoin business, right? So they struggle with, and they take additional financing from like NYDIG and other people for their loan business because they're doing things on Bitcoin terms. And so they're not really interested in lending, like lending money for 9%. I guess maybe in this past year, that would have been a pretty good trade instead of, <laughs> instead of buying Bitcoin. But, you know, in terms of they, they want to actually buy a bunch of Bitcoin and their, their hurdle rate's not 9%, but it's, you know, they're actually operating on a you know, Bitcoin standard as a Bitcoin business for better or worse. So I think it, it could be really interesting to look at like Bitcoin as, and I've done a lot of writing and a lot of thinking about this, about, you know, Bitcoin, especially as it, you know, in theory, maybe it never becomes a, a not volatile asset. Maybe it's always an 80 vol asset. But I, I think 20 years down the line, Bitcoin still probably trades like a risk asset. Maybe it doesn't, but it trades, you know, much, much similar to like equities at a much, much larger scale. Um, and so collateral in that, in that world is, is a lot different. And the risk-free rate, you know, the, the rate you get on that, on that collateralized loan is, is you know, similar to what you could get with a mortgage today or, or something, because it's just, it's a, it's an, if you do it right, it's a no loss business from a, from a lending perspective. Okay. Does anyone else have anything they want to chime in? Maybe you want to invite more people up or just riff. I don't don't want to don't want to hog the mic. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in. Just you know, a couple other you know interesting points on this whole chaotic situation unfolding. I, I know there's been there's been a little bit of speculation around Silvergate's exposure slash involvement in all this. And I'll raise this because I think it's an interesting point and, and certainly one that, you know, that, that, you know, begs a little bit more investigation. You know, as, as some of us know that, you know, that have been in the space for a while that, or that have, you know, wired money across, you know, multiple exchanges or, you know, big counterparty, Silvergate's a huge, huge piece of, you know, the, the internal infrastructure of the ecosystem. And, you know, one of the, one of the things people have been speculating about is how much exposure do they potentially have in the collapse? Uh, and, and so this exposure could come in, in the form of actual, you know, U.S. dollar loans uh, out to FTX or any other any other uh, affiliated counterparties. You know, we don't know yet. Uh, luckily, they're a public company. And so <laughs> all the stuff will, will, will surface, you know, in their Q4 report. So it, it'll be a while. But, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. And, you know, a potential corollary to this is, you know, while this whole kind of FTX bankruptcy proceeding continues, you know, it'll it'll be pretty damn clear <laughs> that one of the things that they'll be charged for is wire fraud, because essentially what they what FTX was doing, and I know from personal experience, and and, and certainly I can corroborate through others that when you would wire money <laughs> into FTX, you weren't always wiring it to their entities. It was either you know an Alameda sub or Alameda you know directly. And, and that is, you know, I mean, I'm not a lawyer and, and so please don't take any of this as, you know, legal 
fact, but that is essentially my understanding of what wire fraud is. And, and that's, that's going to be a problem. And so, you know, it, it also opens up the question to, you know, how many other financial institutions outside of Silvergate that were tied into the FTX ecosystem could be potentially dinged uh, for this sort of thing. So, yeah, just a, this is a developing piece and there's obviously not a lot of info on this, but um, I would say this will be an interesting uh, kind of part of the narrative in the, in the coming weeks. So, Jenny, I've, I've been tracking the Silvergate stuff. I mean, tracking it, I guess, to the best of my ability. But here's what I, I know, right? And I'm, I'm about to link. One second here. I'm just putting in my charger. I'm about to link uh, in the nest for anyone that wants to follow along this thread. And again, there's no conclusions here. These are, these are just questions. We're just asking questions. Silvergate's a publicly traded name. And, and basically all this info that Jenny and I are talking about or, or that the group is talking about is is public info right there's there's no insider information and this is all on the website so I, I just pin this to the top of the nest so people can follow it's a thread and so so silvergate was you know minus 46 percent going into the fdx thing we're talking about the sen network sen silvergate exchange network some of the names involved here is, is ftx coinbase paxos crypto.com gemini kraken bitstamp circle and here's a quote from ftx from sam bankman frieda himself this was on the Silvergate website, and I believe it's been since removed from the Silvergate website, but this was the night that I went around the website and saw this. As life as a crypto firm can be divided up in, into before Silvergate and after Silvergate, it's hard to overstate how much it revolutionized banking for blockchain companies. So looking at their stock, it's been pummeled. It's, it's down again today, I believe. I closed the day down. I mean, this is not a big name. It's a $1 billion market cap, maybe even lower. Let me check what their, their stock yeah. did today. Like stock a, is down negative 3%. Four. Oh, okay. Three now, oh. which is which is not too Come bad. Up a but the, the key is, and, and they said they have no loan exposure, which is fine, and I honestly believe them in that scenario. But here's the thing, right? The day before the FTX collapse, the CEO, not the CEO, I'm sorry, the the head risk manager of the firm, and who else was it? The head risk manager and the president were scrapped, and and those two positions happened to be, I believe, the brother-in-law and I think the brother of the CEO or or family or social ties. son son-in-law. But now here's yes. here's where it gets real. I, I I've been digging into it because I'm very very interested too, and for every for every place that I find someone saying, oh, they were fired, they were scrapped, I find another place where it's like, no, this was this was planned organizational promotions and shuffling. And I just don't know what to believe. Don't believe their lies, Matt. Don't believe their lies. But I don't know. Yeah, but, but, but Silvergate is the Silvergate is the one that doesn't talk. It's it, it's everyone else talking, and Silvergate frustratingly doesn't say a thing. Yeah. So I think what this is, and I've this is kind of leaning on a uh, Alder a little bit. Or what's his name? I'm sorry, Mark Hodes, who's who's a short seller. He's a Wall Street guy, but he was he was just calling out SBF. There wasn't like definitive evidence. But he was saying for the last few months, like, hey, guys, like when you look at, 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 you know, financial fraud, this guy's ticking a lot of boxes. And he was just highlighting a bunch of questions and basically came upon Silvergate, who their stock has been getting killed. They just recently got into some money laundering in like South America, I believe, maybe South Africa. And there's money laundering charges that, that arose and their stock was down about 14 percent one of these days. The real the real thing here is like like Jenny has said, when you wire money to FDX, you weren't even wiring it to FTX. You were wiring it to the Almeida entity and it was through Silvergate. And then there's a video, which is in the thread, but the original poster of the video just went actually private on his Twitter account, frustratingly enough. So we can't, we can't see the video, but it's basically Sam Trabuco, the former CEO of, of Alameda saying like, oh yeah, we use a US bank 
just to wire money to tether and they're like what bank and he's like we can't admit that and i think if you could connect the dots you can probably stumble upon the fact that it was silvergate or the high probability that it was silvergate and so Again, like this, I, I don't think they have loan exposure, but just, you know, how fractional reserve banks work, you need deposits to make it work. And you have other, you know, Falcon X is a small institutional player, or I mean, they're not small, but they're really behind the scenes. You know, some some people say they actually have, you know, quite quite big size and uh, relevancy across the space. They just stopped using, they inform, informed everyone via Telegram that they're, they're, they're halting uh, Silvergate wires effective immediately due to abundance of caution. So like, yeah, these things, yeah I saw that. that that's not great, right? It's true. And so, so if it's a depositor story and Silvergate's equity, like I, I, I mean, I'm not a banking analyst. I don't claim to be, but a stock getting hammered day after day after day, basically just down only and wire fraud basically being a, a big reason their stock took a 20% dive a few days ago. And then all of the the Alameda stuff that is yet to come from a legal perspective, and what this yeah. what what these dollar rails. When you look at these institutional players, like again, this is all public website. Look up Sen Network S E N Network and on Google Images and and just you know scroll, and they have a bunch of slides with all of these crypto companies, right? And so these are dollar rails. So I'm just you know all of these things, whether it's like the lending desks imploding or the market makers imploding or the potential, and this is not 100% certainty. But the potential for one of basically two U.S. regulated banks that serve crypto firms, you know, tail risk here. The other being signature or signature, right, right. And I, I have no idea how to how to quantify this probability, these probabilities, none, zero. But I know it's non-zero that it happens, and I am somewhat sure that in in the you know event of of something you know bad, quote unquote, happening or whether this firm goes under or they, you know, everyone else gets out because of regulatory reasons or whatever. It's not probably great for net liquidity coming into the space or, or, you know, circulating around the space, money sloshing around and, and losing those dollar rails. And, you know, never mind the fact that circle banks with these guys. Right. So I, like, again, I, I am no conclusions, only questions. And a lot of this stuff just doesn't smell great. You know, it does look like absolutely. You're, absolutely right it doesn't it does not smell great and sure enough like of course a down only big uh bear market is what's exposing the smell but let let me give the other the other side where like okay yeah if you if you had been buying puts or been short silvergate for this past month obviously you're very happy ever since ftx imploded but the if you're just hearing about this for the first time in this space you got to be very careful because what we've also seen is Silvergate's competition capitulate and outright go into bankruptcy as we speak. Like, what happened to BlockFi? They're gone. What's going on with Genesis? They're soon to be gone. Like, what's go- like they, all of a sudden, they're losing their, their what used to be their 2021 and 2022 competition. They're, they're gone. So, yes, Silvergate is having its time in the, in, the, in the shed. But if they survive, they might be the only ones still standing. So I don't like. I feel like honestly, there's more that we don't know than we do. On the flip side, like when we were watching, when when the CoinDesk article came out about FTX, and we all learned of Alameda's balance sheet, and we learned what a Fugazi Ponzi FTT token was, I think you could very confidently say, short it to hell, this thing's going to zero. I can't say that with Silvergate, and I'd be surprised if anyone else can make that claim too. No, yeah, I, I'm, by no means am I pitching short thesis here by like by any means not financial advice i mean this is a publicly traded entity and we're just talking about it 
in the open. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't just go blindly ape into a short of security because of a talk, you know, banter you're hearing on Twitter spaces. In terms of yeah, FTT imploding, it was much, it was a much more visible thing that, hey, there's a broad scale speculative attack on an illiquid altcoin with no natural buyers. This is a Fed member bank. And, you know, it would be, it'd be really, really fascinating to see what would happen in a, in a bad scenario, considering that they're FDIC insured. Um, and considering they're a Fed member bank, like I, I don't know what would happen. So that's you know one of the things where if it does happen, I mean it's uh, it would be very fascinating to see it play out because it'd be much more critical to the crypto space. But at the same time, there's tradfi uh, spillover effects and implications. So I, I don't know, and I agree with you, Matt, that you know there's not some opportunity to go ape into shorts. Like this is, I mean, it was definitely I think you know a pretty good opportunity post implosion of, of FTX, but we'll see, we'll see what happens, I guess. I think, I think it's just going to be an interesting time over the next six months, six to 12, just in terms of like, you know, the Bitcoin protocol is not going anywhere. Um, I think, I think there's still broadly like under the surface adoption and, and, you know, tech being built, which is, which is, I mean, there's no denying that in my opinion, but the exchange rate is going to get absolutely pummeled. And a lot of people are going to, you know, are going to quit, going to, going to leave, going to do something else say Bitcoin's dead and it's a, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I think probably here's a natural place to end it. I got some work to finish up for today. I certainly don't want to, you know, if you guys want to like hand it off to another space, Jenny, I really appreciate you coming. Matt, D++, Chris Chris. for hosting. This was a ton of fun. I guess just maybe I'll give a a brief handoff to to some, something you guys can check out if you want. We put up some stuff for Bitcoin Magazine Pro, covered the the latest six months, I think, as well as, as anyone with a Bitcoin native view. And just kind of, you know, not being pessimist, but being rationalist about, about the state of things. So if you're interested in that, BitcoinMagazinePro.com, it's in my bio. Uh, shout out to Jen and BitMEX for, for being a sponsor of us for a while. No longer, but understandably, had to tighten the belt. Respect, my friend. And, and you know, we're all going to make it. Wag me. This is going to be a fun bear, and uh, I certainly am I'm not going anywhere. So appreciate y'all. Perfect. Thanks, Dylan. Appreciate, uh, appreciate today's chat. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. Bitcoin is for everyone. Lefties, righties, and rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin Magazine print edition is called The Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naya Bukele, Jeff Deist, Beauty On, Natalie Smolensky, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy at your local Barnes & Noble's bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at store.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.